I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. And we are live. How are you on this afternoon? I am on the hospital service. And I'm I'm in I'm in a I'm in a feel good space today. I had a fun weekend, even though I had to work the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you I'm did good. make it to the park to to double dutch. So that's I good. did, and and you know what I taught my team today? I told my team that I do a lot of things to myself mentally for my wellness with work. So I rounded on Saturday with the interns, and I rounded on Sunday with my senior resident which means, you know, they all got off days, but I didn't. Mm. But, you know, because we weren't admitting, I was able to get out fairly early in the afternoon. And what I do is mentally, I compartmentalize me leaving the hospital. I do everything I need to do before I leave. And then I tell myself, especially on a weekend, that this is the start of an off day for me. Mm. And I make an intentional plan to do something like super lit. So- as you know, yesterday, I um, got about 40 women over the age of 40 to meet me in a Atlanta park to double dutch, hopscotch, hula hoop, play tag, and just straight up play like kids, which is what <laughs> we did from 4 p.m. until like almost 8 p.m. Goodness. I'm a little sore though. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mahalia is in some twists right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like Mahalia in her twist. I appreciate that because I thought these were some struggle twists that I did on the later <laughs> side last night. Yeah, she looked good to me. I mean, and I could tell you Jules right now, you know how when you were little and you um, went outside and played and you came in the house. And your hair kind of has that like little look of like slightly puffy, slightly. Yeah. So I came to work today with the, you've been playing outside hair. Yeah. <laughs> so Jules got a, you've been playing outside look right now. You know, that's the beauty of being a black woman. Man. Cause you just show up and you know, what you really did mean to have as your look becomes your look. Mm-hmm. You just own it. It's all about how you own it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to own this. You, ex- you inspired me. Hey, listeners, um, Ashley was thinking about taking her struggle twist down for a meeting. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting you on blast. I was like, girl, you know what? Wear your twist. Own your look. Mahalia, Mahalia said, I'm comfortable like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as Lash Nolan told us, you know, tell them to get with it. Mm. So, okay. Um, thank you for, for now putting me out publicly and any questions. You can edit it out if you want. <laughs> no, that's going on. And any questions about my hair will be explicitly directed towards Grady Doc. Um, that's right. That's so, right. Appreciate that's what you. I am. I'm the publicist for Mahalia. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at 
at Grady Doctor. Yes. The person who's listening to this podcast for the first time is like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> are they going to just talk about hair? Yes, we yeah, are. We, we got some, we got some stuff to talk about um, and including, you know, something I wanted to share that I learned. This okay. Week. Have you ever heard of script talk? That would be a no. Okay, good. I have um, a patient who's extremely visually impaired from diabetic retinopathy, who is able to get this service called script talk, which is basically all of his prescriptions have a little like label or microchip or something on the bottom where he can scan the bottle either on an app on his phone or like a separate device that you can get um, that comes with it that will basically read your prescription out loud. What? Tell you what the medication is, how to take it, side effects and all that. So he has that for all of his meds. And I think it's free, particularly for folks who have visual issues. But I was thinking about it as well, like for folks who have like literacy or like kind of complicated prescription regimens, you can get it from basically any regular pharmacy. So Mm -hmm. I've never heard of that. That's dope. I love it. Yep. Yeah, I love it. You know, I think that actually segues nicely into, I can't necessarily say it's what I learned. It's just something that I'm thinking about a lot. And I've been thinking about gaps in my knowledge in certain areas. And, you know, there's some times these things that like for us to say, oh, you know, I need to strengthen my ability to read EKGs or I need to, there are these things that seem like the really unsurprising things that people feel like they have knowledge gaps in. Mm -hmm. But I have been discovering that I have some knowledge gaps as it relates to caring for my geriatric patients. Mm. And um, I've just been having things come up on my hospital service you know, with our, with our aging population and, and patients, um, as one of my patients told me who are more seasoned. So, you know, normally when things happen in the hospital and I'm reading about something, but we, and I work in a teaching hospital and there's all these specialists around me, I just, you know, walk down the hallway in my office building and I'll speak to one of the infectious disease doctors, or I'll speak to a colleague who's a, you know, an interventional pulmonologist. And I have these really amazing geriatricians around me and I've been asking them questions and have just been getting all the pearls dropped on me. And it's just Mm -hmm. not enough time to even talk to you about all these pearls getting dropped on me today in the lunchroom. Ted Johnson, my division chief, who's a geriatrician, he was just dropping all the bombs on me today. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get stronger at supporting and caring for my geriatric inpatients. I love it. Can I offer one book suggestion? You can offer as many book suggestions. You have books behind you. So I, I, I believe know. I believe you got like books in you to talk about. So yeah, me. they're all over the floor scattered right now. But whenever you have a chance, I would highly recommend Elderhood <gasps> by Louise Aronson. Aronson. Yes. yes. Uh, yes. I said that like I finished it already. Um, (laughs) Dr. Aronson, I do have that book. Mm -hmm. I did start it and I loved the part that I started. Yeah. I'm going to finish it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I read it. um, I remember right before I started on faculty and um, I was just blown away by how much I learned from her. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of books, mm-hmm. you read uh, Reza Manesh's book. Yes, I did. 
finding joy in medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, have to say that I, I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of see a copy of it before it got published. And I, I really am so inspired by Reza doing something that a lot of us know about, but don't actually do. And that is he put pen to paper to talk about the joy of being a doctor, the joy that we find in medicine. And in this time when there's so much discussion about what medicine ain't, <laughs> people ain't doing, how you shouldn't do it. It was just nice to be reminded of the beauty of what we have the privilege to do. Yeah. And I so appreciate how open Reza was about how the the difficulties throughout training and the challenges really make you question, like, is there happiness or joy to be found in this profession? Oh, yes. And when I first met Reza or heard about Reza, you know, he's an attending at Hopkins and I, yeah, yeah. you know, you just kind of have in your mind this whole narrative of what people's journeys are. Yeah. So, but you know, sometimes people see the glory and they don't know your story, <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> they just how it is. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful thing to be reminded that there is joy to be found in what we do. Absolutely. Which is actually quite pertinent, ironically enough to the story. Oh, what, what's the what today? The what is actually joy. <gasps> yes. Look at that. I'm just out Look here predicting just, stuff. Exactly. Right oh. up in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was um, inspired by Reza's book because, like I said, I was just reflecting so much um, after having read it. And I was asking myself of the many instances in which I've had joy over the course of my medical training and career, like when was the last moment where I felt the fullness of like pure joy. Mm, so, mm, I am eagerly on the edge of my chair to yeah, hear let, this. Let me bring you back. This was in fall of 2020. Okay. It was kind of that period where things seemed to be getting a little bit better between, you know, the spring, summer months, and then, you know, before things kind of precipitated again with the winter. I had finished teaching my very first medical student course that that uh, that spring. It was something that I had been very nervous about mm-hmm. as I wasn't even supposed to teach that. It was a mentor of mine who was slotted to teach that course, but wow. had um, had to cancel due to a scheduling conflict. So they recommended that I do it. And it's, you know, one of those mentors where, where they suggest that you should do something that <laughs> you do it. <laughs> Voluntold. <laughs> exactly. Even though I felt woefully unqualified. What was the section on? Yeah. So it was on designing clinical research. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So of course, me being a very dedicated non-researcher in my <laughs> profession, teaching medical students how to design research felt a little, a uh, little bit daunting. But these were also students who were interested in pursuing projects that had an element of humanities or narrative medicine or health disparities, Okay, of which I do have background in, um, but maybe just not as much from a research standpoint. Mm -hmm. But the point was to mostly just encourage them and guide them in formulating a project proposal of their own. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was less about me and my knowledge and just kind of encouraging them to put their ideas out there and kind of organize them clearly and give feedback around that. 
And so by the end of the course, you know, I'd grown really close with this group of students, you know, COVID had hit halfway through the course and we had to switch from in-person to virtual, like overnight, but they were so patient and engaged and, you know, just very thoughtful about each other's projects. And it was a really good vibe. And so I was, I was grateful for how it turned out and got really good feedback from the students and then come to find out they had nominated me for a teaching award. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I I found out about the nomination, which that in and of itself, I was really just humbled and blown away by Mm -hmm. because they were like, yeah, you've been nominated for this award, you know, send us your CV and all your other like course evaluations. (laughs) And I was like, I have exactly one sheet of course evaluations <laughs> to submit. So here you go. <laughs> so in my mind, I was just like, I've been on faculty for barely a year. Like I don't have the experience, but it was an honor to be nominated. And I think, you know, particularly with, with teaching, even though I, I've done a lot of it throughout, you know, residency and chief year, I would say it's something that I have a lot of imposter syndrome around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just given this caliber of trainees and me, you know, the, the, that voice that's constantly telling me, like, what are you going to teach these these folks that they right. already know? I remember exactly where I was that morning where I found out that I had won. Dang. I, ironically, I just finished giving a talk to some of our interns around narrative medicine. Okay. And again, had you know, built myself up feeling a little bit nervous and then got through it and felt good. And then I opened my inbox and see that I had actually won. And I was so happy. Mm. I was mm. happy because I really needed that affirmation. Mm. Mm-hmm. And not to say that like, you know, I am one who really focuses on awards and and achievements. But in that circumstance, that really, really meant a lot because it came from the students. Mm. So that next day, I was actually getting on a plane to go to Houston. This was September 16th of 2020. I got there and I just remember like coming off the wave of like that emotion and then finally like being at home, you know, the last couple months had been pretty stressful. And so I got there and this was actually my first time getting to see my grandparents in their new home. Okay. I had gone there. I had actually taken a COVID test, like taken the precautions and was still a little on the fence, but you know, just inside, I knew this was what I needed to do. I needed to go home. Mm -hmm. Something was calling me home. Mm. I went to my grandparents' house Mm -hmm. and um, I stood in the doorway, kind of like going to just kind of (laughs) wave and Mm -hmm. say hello. But um, my grandmother came over and embraced me. And I remember her exact words because she was like, let the cards fall where they may. And these are folks who like, you know, they were wearing masks in their own backyard. Like they were not playing around with this virus, but she could not, she just wasn't having it. And when my grandmother hugs me, she hugs me like she does not know when she's going to do it again. Mm. So Mm. it was this embrace that lasts a little longer than, you know, what would normally feel comfortable, but Mm. In her arms, it's like being at home. 
Mm-hmm. And so that night we had dinner uh, or I had dinner with my grandparents in their backyard. It was a very rare type of night in Houston where the weather feels perfect. Okay. <laughs> it's like not super hot, but it's not cold. It's not humid. There weren't any mosquitoes. I don't know what was happening, but it was just a really beautiful night. Mm. We had dinner and I pulled out my phone and I was like, grandma, I need to show you something. Oh my gosh. I pulled up the, the email and I remember her just like slowly scrolling through oh. and like reading all the words in oh. her mind. And when she was done, she just put the phone on her chest and she closed her eyes. Mm, girl, she- you about to make me cry <laughs> up in here. Oh. I'm, I'm trying to hold mm. back too. Mm. But she closed her eyes and what she said was, Ashley, I am so, so proud of you. Mm. And... Um, What it meant for me to hear her say those words was not that she was like proud of my achievements, but she was proud of who I was as a person. Mm. Mm. She was proud of who I had become and who I was becoming. Mm. That's what I was hearing in her, the way she said it. Mm. She looked at me in that moment. Mm. And what I felt that evening was the most pure, unadulterated joy that I can remember feeling Mm. in a while. Wow. It was just, uh, I just felt like everything was okay. Everything. Mm. One of my favorite things about being my grandmother and having grown up with her in that, in our house in Illinois was always waking up to the smell of her cooking. Mm. And so I, I had spent the night that night and because uh, she always wakes up at like four in the morning. Whoa. And, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, I came downstairs and I still kind of in this, this feeling of, of joy and I saw her at the stove and I just, I walked up to her and I laid my head on her shoulder Ugh. and I didn't say anything. And then after, uh, after a few seconds, she just says, I love you too, Ashley. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a beautiful memory. That morning was September 17th of 2020. And she had that massive stroke on the 19th. Ugh, girl. Yeah. I know. This is when your friend who cries all the time (laughs) to talk back to you, but she can't. Yeah, it's, it's a heavy story, but you know, it's like when I tell it, it actually fills me with a lot of the same joy that I felt in that moment, because it, it puts so much in perspective for me Mm. in terms of how much our lives and medicine become about doing and climbing and achieving. Like Mm. you've barely made it to one step before someone's asking you, like, what are you doing next? It's about advancement. It's about publishing. And, you know, what my grandmother taught me and what, what ended up being our last part of our last moments together before the stroke was that success is growing and being 
oh. the person that you were meant to be and yes. being proud of that person. Yes. And I'm, I feel so, so, so grateful that I got to have that from her mm-hmm. before she, you know, before she transitioned. Mm. You know, what I love the most, because I don't think it's a heavy story. I think it's a beautiful story. And I'm crying because it's a beautiful story. You know, your grandmother poured a lot into you. um, And, you know, you were proud of you too. And um, she created a space for you to be that, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, you showed that to your grandmother because it was a safe place and mm-hmm. because she loves you. But the thing is that you didn't even need her to say that. You already knew she was proud of you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. I'm a mom. So perhaps this moves me in a different way, but mm-hmm. would you just hope not just for your kids, but for your friends, you know, for your patients, for your learners. I just want people to, before I even, before they even tell me something, I'd like them to know that I'm proud of them. I want to hear what they have to say, that this is a safe space. And I just love that your grandmother kind of created this this space for you, you know, Mm -hmm. because when you think about the narrative of the black family, right? Yeah. You think of, oh, you know, a mom and the grandma and multi-generational moms living in homes together. And we just get this idea of who we are. And there's just so much love in our families. Absolutely. um, That propels us to just be excellent. And yeah. Evangelist Shelly Rael was <laughs> pouring that love into her baby. So yes. I love that story. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I think when I get into spaces where I find myself a little down or feeling insecure about things that I haven't done or need to do, I, I remember that I, in my lifetime, have experienced sacrificial love Mm. Mm -mm. and that in and of itself has made my 30-ish years (laughs) very very meaningful and there's nothing like you know in terms of career or money although I I do want more money I'm not gonna (laughs) lie listen up you listen up employer (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there's nothing that can touch that. Like, if you have experienced that, like, you have experienced more than enough. I I thought of one other thing, too, when you were talking about, you know, what can happen sometimes when you get these sort of gold stars. um, Here's an award. Um, Here you get to be chief resident. Um, you, You can really be at risk to have a fixed mindset where you, it defines you Mm. um, to get an award or to get, you know, an A or some, something that objectively says that you're good. Yeah. But what the growth mindset does, and, you know, 
for fellow nerds listening, um, this language comes from um, Mindset by Carol Dweck, a, um, an awesome book that you should also read along with Elderhood and Finding <laughs> Joy in Medicine. Um, but th- this growth mindset being that, you know, you're always moving toward being something, right? You're not, you don't ever arrive. Her quote, M, that I love is becoming is better than being. Yes. Like metaphorically, I want people to be able to lay their head on my shoulder and for me to just look at them and be like, I love you too, whether they win an award or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Mahalia and your twist awards and all, sis, I love you as is and for your hard work and your effort and your dedication to medical students. They did what they were supposed to do, which is give you a teaching award. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I appreciate you, sis. And I love you too. And um, Mahalia also loves you for giving me the courage (laughs) to not take these twists out before they fully dried. I'm telling you. Go to this meeting as is. I'm telling you, go into that meeting like what? (laughs) Go into that meeting like you were double dutching in the park the day before and dare somebody to say something. All right, perfect. (laughs) I heed your advice. Well, it is always a pleasure and a joy, speaking of joy, um, to talk to you. And um, one more time, just make sure y'all, we gave y'all three like really great recommendations. We told you to read Finding Joy in Medicine by Reza Manesh. Mm -hmm. We told you to read Elderhood. Yes. By Louise Aronson. Y'all should follow them on Twitter too, because they're dope. And then we told you to read Mindset by Carol Dweck. Did we tell them to do anything else? Um, no, I think that's, I think that's a good list so far, sis. You can edit out my ugly crying if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) We were, I mean, we made it eight episodes in and we, it was past. But I haven't ugly cried. I'm like cute, but I haven't. (laughs) Nah, that's all good. All right, sis. Holla. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.